try that sooner. Hey guys. Hey, good morning. Hey, hey, hey. All right. So here we go. You guys ready? No. Okay, good, good. It's a good start. All right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to go either, man. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> so today uh, we're finishing up our Fix Our Eyes On series, and uh, and we're gonna be in uh, gonna be in Philippians chapter four, verses eight through nine is kind of our main text. But um, in order, you know, one of the things I want to always be careful of doing is if you if you if you take one verse by itself. And you just talk about that one verse without talking about the context that it's in the middle of. It's kind of a dangerous habit, right? Like, um, for instance, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? If you don't talk about the context of the verse, that's one that gets misused all the time. Um, then you end up believing some pretty weird stuff, right? Like, listen, I can do all things, so I'm going to go ahead and jump off of this building because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Obviously, if we take it to that extreme... Not only does it get weird, but it gets dangerous, right? Uh, and so I want to look at some context before we get to our verse, right? Uh, and then once we get to the verse, we're going to dig into some of the language stuff, which hopefully you guys enjoy as much as I do. We'll see how that goes. Uh, and then we'll kind of wrap up and, and see things. So that's the plan for this morning. So Philippians, that's where we're going to be. And just as kind of by way of reminder, in Acts chapter 16, you'll remember that Paul goes, you know, he sees the vision of the, the man from Macedonia, and he goes over there, and he meets Lydia and her household, right? And Lydia and her, and her household become converts. They, they all come to know Jesus. And then Paul ends up in jail. There's a big earthquake. The, board, the, the, the doors open. The jailer's getting ready to kill himself. And Paul's like, hey, man, cool it. We're all here, right? And so then... Uh, the jailer says, okay, hey, what do I got to do? Like, this is a big deal. What do we do? And so Paul goes to his house and, and the jailer and his whole family convert and become a part of the church, right? The church kind of begins in those two, those two families, right? So that's kind of the beginning of the church. That's, that's who he's writing to, right? Uh, this family that he's known now for over more than a dozen years at this point when he's writing the letter, right? So there's a lot of relationship. There's a lot of of, of stuff going on in the words that he says to these friends. These are people that he loves like children, right? Um, and so the letter's written from Rome, uh, which you, you may not have known. I didn't know until I did more research. But Rome, it was written from Rome uh, when Paul was in prison a dozen years after he first met those, those ones that we just talked about. And so I thought it was really interesting um, that I pulled this verse and that it, it takes place during all that stuff because we were just in Rome and we went walking a lot. Like there wasn't probably a day where we walked less than like 12 kilometers and I'm not exaggerating. It was exhausting. My legs were sore for a week afterwards. Right. Um, but we went to all these places and several of the places uh, had things that were associated with Paul. Right. Paul and Peter were kind of the big deal in Rome. Right. Um, we're going to let that lay. But um, <clears throat> so we went all these different places and while we were going all these different places, uh, and we went all these different places that had to do with where to go. I can click it. I don't mind. There we go. Um, and so I thought, since we're talking about a letter that he wrote while he was in Rome, and we've been to several places that he was at when he was in Rome, theoretically, if the sources can be trusted, we're not even going to touch that one. But, um, but 
if the, if the sources can be trusted and these are what they say they are, then, then I, I wanted you guys to kind of get these pictures in your brain of like, this is where Paul was when he was writing this letter, right? Okay. So the first one is this, this is, uh, this, this right here, if you can see these rocks here and you can see these rocks here, that is what's called the Appian Way. And what the Appian Way was, is that it was a, it was a road coming from the South. It was the main road. It was the only road coming from the South. So when Paul, after a shipwreck, sails into town and, and heads up to, to Rome, this is the road that he was taking. And so like those stones there, the way that the Romans built the roads is, is really, we use the same method today, right? Like you lay the foundation and you put the little rocks on, then you put the little rocks on, then you put big rocks on and you do it in layers. And so those, on top of that, they even actually put a sealant, which the sealant has eroded away because you know, that's what ours does too, right? That's what all those potholes are about. But um, this, was, this was the road. And the really interesting thing to me is that that hole right up there in the tree line, I don't know if you can see it clear there in the back. Do you see it? So that hole is actually Rome. That's the city center of Rome. That's where that's headed, right? That's where the road is leading. All roads lead to Rome, right? That's the, the phrase. Well, it was, it was true. And, and so that road, and we're walking on that road, and that that's, the, that's the road that Paul used when he's walking into Rome. And as we're walking, I was, I was looking around going, this is the, these are the same hills, right? Like these are the same, obviously probably not the same trees, and the grass has died and withered and came back, right? But, but this is the road that Paul walked on. Obviously, it was probably wider. It was better maintained. Everything was different. But this is still the same spot that he was in when he was walking into town. And the interesting thing to me about that is that he had no idea how that was going to go, right? Like he knew he was going into Rome to meet with Caesar. He knew that he was going to stand trial. He knew that, that there was the potential that it was going to go badly. And he's walking into Rome with all that stuff going on, thinking about all the people that he left behind and all the things that were coming up ahead. And it's just such a, I don't know, it was just such an interesting moment to just kind of be in that place and to think about, all the things that were going through his head. Now, I don't know any of that, right? Like I can't, there's no commentary for that, but it was just an interesting thought. And, and I thought it was cool because, you know, here he is as he's walking into Rome, right? I mean, obviously that's Jess and Braylon and, and uh, is, is it Isabella, right? Sorry, I was gonna ask Isaac. Anyway, sorry. Um, oh, <laughs> he remembers her name. Um, so, so anyway, that was cold. I'm sorry. I love you. He'll be fine. He's used to it. Um, but it's, I don't know. I just thought it was a really neat kind of thing. You know, as he's walking in and he's thinking about all those churches and all those people that he's left behind, the Philippians are one of those that are on his mind. I don't know. It's just, it's just interesting. This next one is, so in Rome, I, I'm sure you guys have, have uh, heard this or, or or maybe even been there and seen it, but anytime there was something where something happened, right? Like it was a prison or a, a beheading or a, you know, uh, some sort of something that was, was, was instrumental in, in the book of Acts or just in the, in the New Testament in general, uh, they just built a church on top of it, right? Because they had so many people coming to visit and you put a church on top of it and you pay admission to anyway. So, um, so there was, this was the, what this picture was is so, Behind these two little windows is, is supposed to be the room where Paul was in prison, right? And in my brain, I had this idea of house arrest, and it was this, you know, he was in this big villa and all this stuff, and maybe there was some of that too, but if, if this is the spot where he was on house arrest and in prison, um, it wasn't very big. It has one little bitty window. That was the one. You can see in there, there's not a ton of room. I'm assuming that maybe the walls and the floor were better shaped thousands of years ago. 
That stands to reason, right? Um, but this was, I mean, you can kind of get an idea. It really wasn't like this is from the window on the left so that I could kind of look over and see the window. But you saw how wide those windows were spaced. And, and that's basically the size of the window from side to side, or the size of the room from side to side. So it wasn't very big. Um, and then these were at another church, but those were supposed to be the chains that he, he wore, right? The, when he was in prison. So he would have been, you know, chained to one of the guards. Those were supposed to be the chains. Um, this pillar is supposed to mark the spot where he was beheaded. Okay, so spoiler alert, Rome didn't go well, right? Like eventually he got to trial, they, they executed him. And this pillar is supposed to mark the spot where he was beheaded. Now, the interesting and weird thing is that these three fountains, right? They actually had to, they had to, they had to, to kind of cement them in so that they weren't fountains anymore because the water was poisonous. But they put these three fountains there um, because you see over here, here's where the pillar was. And then there's a fountain here and a fountain here and a fountain here. And the story on this is, and I'm saying somebody had to be swinging for the fences if this is true. But the story on this is that those are the three places that he, Paul's head bounced uh, after they chopped it off. That's the, that's the story. So it's the Trace Fountains. Uh, there's a whole monastery, a um, bunch of monks, uh, Trappist monks. But that was supposed to be... Now it is downhill, so I don't know how that works, but that's what, those, that's what that was for. So maybe the downhill part, like the last one's where it stopped, I don't know. Um, but that was, that was supposed to be the spot where he was beheaded and then kind of where things landed. Um, I just thought that was really weird and super interesting. Um, and then this, uh, if you remember the, the slide with the chains, this is in the same church as the slide with the chains, but this says sarcophagus uh, and then some other word and Paul. So that's supposedly uh, Paul's sarcophagus. Now, again, I don't know if any of these are the real sites, right? Like, I, I think a lot of times with, um, I don't remember what they're called, um, but like the, the big mementos and the where they built the churches and all the stuff where they say, no, this is definitely where this happened. Like, okay, I don't know, maybe. It's really not the point, though. Like, to me, the point is, is like kind of maybe those aren't the exact spots, right? But I was in the area, right? And, and looking at those spots and kind of thinking like what Paul was going through, what was going on in his head, like, the imaginative part of it is really what I want you to focus on today. Like, do I know that those are the exact spots? No, I don't know that. Like, uh, the church says yes. I don't know. Maybe, right? But what I do know is in going to those places and thinking about those things, it kind of it, it, it wakes your brain up to all these things that would have been going on through Paul's head. None of those things can you know or define or quantitate, right? But like... Just your imagination gets spinning in some really interesting places. And so with all of that in mind, um, what I want to do then, uh, just kind of to, to kind of bring us back in and focus on it, I want, you to, I want us to think about that the Philippians that he's writing to are in the middle of a persecution themselves, right? Uh, they're in the middle of a persecution, um, and Paul is in prison, and his trial date's been set. Okay, that's where their mindset is when this is all being written to them. Uh, the book contains, and I think this is really interesting, the book contains little in the way of rebuke. Now, if you've read some of Paul's other letters, that's kind of weird, right? 
I mean, a lot of his letters, you read them and you're like, hey, knock it off. I mean, that's like usually kind of like the second thing he says. He's like, hey, I love you guys. Quit it. Right. Um, but with the Philippians, there isn't a whole lot of that. Why? Um, well, for one, every child is different. Right. You guys who have kids like, you know, that some kids need this and some kids need this. And then sometimes you've got kids that they study and you didn't even tell them to. Right. Like they just and that happens. And churches are kind of the same way. Right. And I think that's what's going on here with the Philippians. It's not that if there hadn't have been if there had been something that Paul needed to say to the Philippians, he wouldn't have been shy about saying it. But instead of saying, hey, you guys are being boneheads, knock it off. He says, hey, I know things are hard. Focus on this. And that's really the point of the letter. And you can, you can tell that it's the point of the letter because where we're going to end up here in just a second, and I'll, I'll get to that. But, but So it contains little in the way of rebuke, which is unusual, but it does contain a ton of exhortation, which is a big fancy church word for encouragement, right? Um, sort of. So it contains all that stuff. Plus Paul, and really what I think Paul is doing in this letter to the Philippians is that he's trying to ease their anxieties about his situation and theirs. Right? They're, they are stressed out and worried um, about Paul's situation, about their situation. They had a buddy that was with Paul that got really sick. I can't Epaphroditus, is that the right name? Anyway, look it up. I don't remember what his name was. Um, but he got really sick, and so they were worried about him. And so this letter, that guy ends up going and delivering the letter so that they can, hey, hey, you're healthy. But this letter really is a letter of encouragement and saying, hey, listen, I know it's hard. Just keep going. Keep, keep your head up, keep your eyes focused, and keep taking one step after the other. That's what, that's what it's all about here. And uh, so a lot of this stuff that we're going to talk about here in a minute, just to be, to be open and honest, um, I read a bunch of commentaries this week, and so there will be thoughts in here. And to avoid the, 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 the constant stopping and saying, hey, this came from here, and hey, this came from here, which you guys aren't super interested in to begin with, just know a lot of the things I'll say linguistically I'm, I don't know Greek, just transparency. So those came from commentaries, okay? So uh, one of them was one of my professors, Mr. Reith, and I thought he said something really interesting about the letter of the Philippians. And he says this, he says, it breathes joyful confidence in Christ. Isn't that a cool idea? Like, like the, that's, that, was, that was what Philippians is doing in the letter. Joyful confidence in Christ, and it urges the same thankful joy upon its readers. Right? So, looking at the book of Philippians, we're going to fast forward through the first three chapters. We're going to, they're gold, read them, please, they're awesome, but for the sake of time, we can't read the whole book of Philippians, right? Like in one Sunday, or we'd be here for hours, um, and everybody wants to go to lunch eventually, right? Like, that's a thing. So, so we're going to fast forward through all that for the sake of time. And I want, I want us to kind of wrap our brains around with chapter 4. When he starts in chapter 4, the first seven verses, uh, really verses 8 and 9 are, are really the last real point that he makes in the whole book. Like the rest of it is kind of like house cleaning, right? He, he gets done saying what he's going to say, and then the rest of the book is kind of like, hey, tell this guy to do this, and tell this guy to do this, and tell these guys hi, and give them a hug, and you know, like it's that stuff. And so we start out in verse 4, and he's kind of wrapping things up, Right? And, and I want to look real quick, just so that for the sake of context, you know, I want to put it in its proper place. I want, to, I want to read through the first seven verses really quick. I don't want to spend a lot of time on them, but I want you to have heard them. 
So verses 1 through 7, here they go. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for. You hear it? You hear it? Anyway, I'm not going to stop and do that. My joy and my crown. You can hear the pride in his voice. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Euodia, uh, and I plead with Sintica to be of the same mind in the Lord. So I don't know who these ladies are, but they're arguing. And he says, hey, you know, knock it off. Like, you know, uh, not even knock it off. Like, come on, guys. You love each other. Remember. Um, so he says he pleads with them. Verse 3. Yes, and I ask you, and we're not sure who he's talking to. He may be talking to the whole church. He may be talking to somebody specific that they knew about there. But he says, I plead with you, my true companion or comrade, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Now, who's he t- is he talking to the church as a whole? Is he talking... To, to these two ladies in their situation, I don't know. It could go either way. There's good arguments for both, but it's not really the point of what we're looking at here today. So if you want to read more about it later, you should. That'd be great. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. That's a phrase that's going to come up uh, sort of here later also. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I set that remote down. I did set it down. I don't know why I set that down over there. It's not a good place for it. And so we come to it. After all that time, we're finally to verses 8 and 9. Here they are. Are you ready? Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. Now, you'll notice here, this next one is, if anything, and that is significant, and we'll look at it here later, but I wanted, to, I wanted you to look at If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of, of peace will be with you. Okay, that's our, that's our text for this morning. That's where we're going this morning. And really, what we have going on here is that, uh, have you ever heard the old, uh, the old idea of that in preaching, right? Like when you're presenting a message, you, you tell them what you're going to tell them, you tell them, and then you tell them what you told them, Right? And I feel like there's an element of that here with what Paul is doing here. Like he's, he's, he's talked about all these different things and he summed up all this different stuff and he's, he's, he's begged them. Like, here's all the things that you guys, like, here's, here's what it's all about. Like, I know it's hard, but like, focus on this. And, and so all of those things are going on uh, and, and he sums it up at the end before he ends the book and he goes on to the housekeeping with this phrase. So here's what I, I kind of want you to, like... Paul builds all of the book up to make this last point, right? Like, it's, it's a summary of the whole thing. And it's important that we understand the weight of these final words of, of his to the Philippians, right? Because they're being persecuted, persecuted sorry, persecuted, sorry. <clears throat> and Paul 
soon-ish is going to be in heaven, right? So this is, this is some of the last things he's ever going to, see to these peop- say to these people that he loves dearly, right? So there's a weight to it. There's a finality to it. And so it, 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 I don't know, it deserves a little extra attention, I guess. And so this is the last thing that he's going to say before he's gone. And so what I want to do is I want to look at, I mean, it would be enough to say, okay, you look at these verses, what he's talking about here is Jesus. He's saying, listen, fix your eyes on Jesus. Okay, and that's all true, right? You with me? Like that is a, a sufficient answer, really. But if we look at these words, maybe we can get a deeper understanding of exactly what his idea of that looks like and how we would do that. Like what are the things that really encompass what he's trying to get these guys to, to focus on, right? So it starts off. He says, you know, focus on these things consciously, work at it. Even in spite of your circumstances, let your mind dwell. And it's got this idea of ponderance. Like, you know what I mean by ponderance? Like you're sitting around, you're staring off into space, you've got a cup of coffee, and you're just stewing, right? Your, your brain is just kind of going over this stuff. And he says, this list right here, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is, you know, right, whatever is just, or well, right or just, pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, those things. Just, just take some time and stir on those things. And so we start off with whatever is true. And some of these words, they're going to be no-brainers, right? We're going to look at them and go, I know what that is. We're going to get it. It's going to click. And then some of the words you're going to go, huh, I hope. And you're going to say, I hadn't thought of that word that way. Like when I think of that word, I think this direction. And Paul is actually taking it this direction. And so hopefully by doing that, by the time we're done, you'll go, okay, I think I get it more. I hope. Right? <clears throat> so, so whatever is true. So valid, uh, reliable, honest. It's the opposite of false, right? Uh, it's not subject to culture or opinion. And it's not necessarily logical. It's true. See, I, I heard a thing one time where this guy got up there and he said, God is always logical. And I said, I don't think that's true. And I actually, a friend of mine and I, we had a big argument about it because he's like, no, God's always logical. And I said, no, because logic is a way of understanding truth and God is truth. And he's outside of all of those things and therefore can defy our logic. Right? Like he is beyond our logic. And so sometimes he's going to do things that don't make sense because we don't have a ladder that goes up high enough to get the perspective to see what he's seeing. Does that make sense? So whatever is true, focus on those things. There's a lot of things in the world that are untrue, right? There's, there's lies everywhere and, and, and deceptions and, and all these little advertisements and, and things that they're trying to vie for our attention. And most of them are all the same old lies in new packaging, right? And he's saying, No. All of that stuff is there, and if you focus on it, it'll be distracting, and it'll take away your joy. I mean, I, I really don't spend a ton of time watching the news, right? Um, I, I try to keep up on actually what's going on in the world, but I don't spend a ton of time reading it because there's so much out there that comes from so many different directions that want to point you in different directions. And I want to know what's going on so that I'm not ignorant of what's happening in the world. But I also don't want to focus on those lies to the point where it gets distracting and, and, and I end up worrying and, and wasting my time on things that ultimately don't have any eternal value. Now, I'm not saying that about all the news. So, and that's me, right? Okay, is everybody with me? Like, if you want to watch the news a ton, okay. 
That's for you to decide. But what he's saying here isn't bury your head in the sand. What he's saying here is focus on what is actually true. Whatever is noble. The other word here it could be it could be translated honorable, right? Uh, it is it's worthy of respect. It's venerable, which is a fancy church word. You can Google it later. Honestly, I don't think I could give you a great definition of it myself, but um, <clears throat> it's used about deacons, women, and old men or elders. Uh, so essentially, everybody, right? Uh, is, is expected. Uh, so Paul uses it of them in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 11, and Titus chapter 2, verse 2. So in case you want to look those up later, or write them down now. Um, I didn't put them up there, but let me repeat those. 1 Timothy 3, 8 and 11, or through 11, and then Titus 2, 2. So if you want to look those up later to see, these are words, these are times where the same word that's used here for noble and honorable are used in a different context, so you can kind of get an idea of what the word is used for. And it really, it focuses around this idea of that our thoughts should not be centered on the cheap and vulgar, right? That's a quote I took from a commentary, but I think it really describes it well, right? Um, and really, you can see the association between truth and nobility, like you can see the connection there that he's making, right? They're not exactly the same, but they're connected, right? There's a, there's a unity in this idea. And, and, and really, uh, with this idea, um, the way I've heard it described, you know, this, this idea of, of focusing what's on what's noble, focusing on what's honorable, um, and being worthy of praise, right? Like this idea of, of focusing your mind on that, uh, I think Stephen got close to it last week with one of the things he said, but the way I've heard this described before is this idea of garbage in, garbage out, right? We were talking about that at one of our meetings there, I think Wednesday, um, and it's, it's a phrase that in youth ministry we've used and used and used for years, right? Because what happens is you've got this kid who's struggling with, you know, he's, he's, he's using all this bad language and he's thinking of, he's got these lusty thoughts and he's, he's, he's chasing after that money, right? You know, he's, I, I'm sure that there's a cooler way to say that, but um, those days have passed uh, for me and I don't, it's okay, I don't care. Um, but, you know, they're chasing after the things of the world and they're, 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 they're folk, you know, they're, and then you look at, you go, okay, you know, they're struggling with all these things. And they go, I don't understand why I can't get close to God. I don't understand why, you know, I go to church and I'm reading my Bible a little bit. Not really. Um, it's just what I say so everybody doesn't think I'm a heathen, right? Um, but, you know, you look at then, you ask them, you're like, what are you, what are you putting in your brain? What are, you, what are you actually putting in your brain? And you look at what they're listening to or what they're watching. And... You may think that this is a ridiculous idea, but the truth of the matter is, is that what you put into your brain is what comes out of your mouth, right? Uh, it says that a fresh water can't come from a salty spring. It can't happen, right? And so if your water well is full of garbage, when you pull out the pail, it's going to taste like poo. That's just the way it is, okay? You can't give somebody a drink of fresh water if your well is full of garbage, right? And that's what this idea is talking about. It says, no, 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 no. You have to be a person who's worthy of that respect. Your character has to be such that you're focused. You've got to watch and you've got to guard what's going into your brain. Because you're a representative of Jesus. And so then we go to the next one, whoever is right. The other, another word used here is just. Okay, that may sound familiar. Uh, the word justice, right? Like those things, it, it centers around that idea. It's, and, and really for... For the, 
for the definition, it's, it's upright, right? Uh, or just, which again is defining a word with a word, so probably not the best definition, but the, the standard for this idea is God Himself, right? Because man's justice is tainted, right? Like the, we, we can try and we do try and we should try to bring, bring justice and, and rightness into the world through our behavior and our actions and how we approach things. And ideally, that should spread out from us into the rest of the community, but we're going to mess that up. And so it's important to remember that the ultimate standard for that is God. And, and, and the way to really focus our eyes on that is to remember what God has done. Has He ever failed? Has He ever let us down? Has He ever not fulfilled a promise? No. He's always right and He's always just. He never makes mistakes. Those are, I know those are bold and controversial, right? The next one is this, pure or holy. Those are, those are words that are interchangeable depending on which version you read. Uh, I did not change the slides. Poop. There we go. Oh, no. Oh, what did I do? Nope, I went too far. There we go. Okay, whew. I'm not very good at this stuff. Um, evidence? Usually there's somebody else pushing the button. That's a way better idea. Um, sorry. So whatever is pure or holy, that's the other word here that's used. And the idea here is moral purity. It's undefiled. It's fit to be brought into God's presence, right? And used in His service, right? Uh, and it dips into the area of motives. The why of why you do things matters, right? And uh, I don't know. Actually, it's a weird... Uh, so you were asking me earlier what this tattoo on my hand is. And I know it's a weird thing in a sermon to talk about tattoos, right? Like, hey, this one means... But for this particular example, I think this matters a little bit, right? Like, so this is a K. It's just the letter K. It's got a circle around it, and it's in my dad's handwriting, right? And so the story behind that is this. Uh, all my life growing up, uh, dad worked for the city of Macon, and he, he would bring in his own tools, or he had tools that were assigned to his truck. And so what he would do is he would take all that stuff, and he would write this K on it. So whether it's tools or gloves, or all kinds of stuff, you put that K on it, because if somebody borrowed it, and, and then he couldn't find it, he'd go looking around, and if it had his initial on it, he, he knew it was his, and so he could put it in there, and so, like, all my life growing up, there were these uh, work gloves all over the place, and all of them had this K on both hands, right? <laughs> And it was just this thing of him marking them and saying, this is mine, and, and it's, it's a tool that I use, and I want to be able to make sure that I can get it back, right? And so for me, this was a thing of, of remembering where I came from, saying like, and acknowledging where I learned a lot of the things that I learned, because I am who I am, because he's my dad, right? And, and I think this idea of purely and, pure and holy and set aside, and for a purpose, it kind of has a similarity to this idea of dad marking his tools, right? He set them aside. They're his. And if they go missing, he wants them back. That's this idea of holy. It's this idea of pure. And there's so many things in our lives that aren't pure, right? And, and so often they're there because we love that sin more than we love our dad, right? And so the idea that Paul is getting at here with these guys is like, listen, 
I know it's hard and it would be easy to get distracted by what feels good and what's comfortable in the middle of all of this pain and stress, but you gotta set that stuff aside and focus on Jesus, right? Like ultimately that stuff is gonna let you down. It's that law of diminishing returns, right? Like you keep, you keep going there for that high to fix that problem, but it doesn't fix the problem and eventually the good wears off and you're just left with the, the hurt, right? Whatever is lovely. This isn't beautiful. Like when you think of lovely, what do you think of? You think of beautiful, right? Now, is there an element of beauty to lovely? Sure, but it's not the focus of this word. It's pleasing, agreeable, amiable. That's a fun one, isn't it? Amiable. How often do you use amiable in a conversation, right? That means that you're like, you're, you get along, right? Like you, you try to work with people. You try to see the good in them, right? It's love-inspiring by its nature, right? And an important thing, this word here for lovely is only used here in the New Testament. That probably is important, right? Um, so, that's it for lovely. Uh, oh, that's the wrong one. <laughs> Got it. Okay, old dog, new trick. That's what this is. So whatever is lovely, um, whatever is admirable or of good repute, right? What is good repute? That sounds so fancy. It's just reputation, right? Repute is reputation. It means you have a good reputation. You're admirable. Um, also, this is, this is a word that is only found here in the New Testament, which I think, again, is, is really interesting. And it's not the idea of being well-spoken of, Right? But it's the idea of, of being well-spoken. It's about the way you talk. Not just when you're up here in front of people, but when you're in your everyday life, right? And uh, here's, a, here's one that, that always drives me nuts. It's, it's always youth group kids, right? And we'll be in the middle of youth group, and they'll, they'll say something that they're not supposed to say, or they'll tell a little fib, you know, or even a lot of times it's in a joking way. They'll be like, oh, no, 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 that was never me. And somebody will, you're not supposed to lie, you're in church, right? They say that, have you ever heard that? Okay, well, here's the problem with that. You don't go to church, you are church, right? Like, does that make sense? Like, we are church. This is just a building, right? This is a shop front, right? This is church. And so what he's saying here is, is, is it's this idea of when we go out of these walls and we live our lives of living in such a way that it brings honor and glory to Christ through how we live, right? And so it's not the idea of being well-spoken of because if, if that's our focus, we're going to tickle ears and try to get along and say things that don't offend people, right? And that's not necessarily our job either. Like, but we're supposed to live lives that have, of such character that when people say things about us, it, it's a good representation of Jesus, right? And so... It's, it's, it's about really about winning people over through the way that we live our lives. And it leans into this area, uh, this idea of graciousness, right? Like, people don't need us to be perfect. They don't need us to have it all together, right? They need us to be real, and they need us to be honest, and they need to be able to see authentically 
that we're really who we say we are, right? And so there's this idea of graciousness. And I think that authenticity and graciousness go hand in hand, right? And so there's this idea. <laughs> get it, get it. Okay, so now we change and we're into, we're into uh, the last part of the verse, verse 8. We're still in verse 8, if you're keeping track. Trust me, this part's almost over. So if the, if the language stuff is killing you, we're almost there. Just hang with me, okay? It says, if anything. Uh, so there's a couple of theories on why he changes words here. I'm sure you guys are super, super interested in this, but, but I think it matters, right? He's the, the couple of things. He says, instead of whatever is, he says, if anything is. And, and there's, a, there's a transition in the way he's approaching these. Why is he doing that, Right? If we're going to try to fix our eyes on Jesus, and this is part of what he's saying, then if we understand what he's saying, we can do that more effectively. So why is it that he changes here? There's a couple of theories. One is, maybe these last two are summing up the first six, right? So you've got excellence and praiseworthy. You know, maybe the first three were excellence, their ideas, their out, out exterior things, and maybe this other one is praiseworthy stuff, the other three, right? Maybe we're breaking them up into two categories, and the last two are to sum it up. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe these last two are to cover anything that hasn't already been uh, covered, right? Like it's kind of a catch-all. Like maybe he's throwing these last two out there. If there's anything, if there's anything, you know, I've gave you this list, but if there's anything that is excellent or praiseworthy, right? That stuff too, right? Or this change could be here because Paul is asking his readers to use their own discretion and choose what is excellent and praiseworthy. He's like, you look at the world, look around you. And I think that there's an element of, of the last two in particular. I don't know that the argument can be made for the first one as much. Maybe. I don't care. But really, I think that that last one sums it up really well. It's like, you look around. You focus your eyes on these things, but, but look around. Look at all of this good stuff that God's done. Look at all this stuff. And you, you use your discretion. You use your brain. You know what's garbage. You can smell it. Right? And so he goes on and he says, if anything is excellent. Uh, the only other author in the New Testament to use this word is Peter. He uses it in 1 Peter 2.9. And he uses it in 2 Peter 1, 3, and 5. And, and the way that Peter uses it, this word excellent, is, is this idea of, of that it centers around this idea of the desire to do right. Okay? You with me? Virtuous actions, right? Like lives, thoughts, feelings, modesty, purity. We all fall short of that, right? But we can look around and also we can see it when it happens. Yeah? Okay? The word used describes every kind of excellence. Okay? It is, it is, it is all-encompassing of excellence, right? And the interesting thing is, is that when he uses that, and, it, and it's such a wide net, it catches some incredible things. It catches things like sunsets, right? It catches things like family time. It catches things like the beauty in nature, right? Like the, you know, animals. <laughs> it, it just, the night sky, Right? You look at those things and God did those and He did them on purpose and they're amazing and they're incredible. And God did them. And He did them to do them, but also for us. 
so that we could look at them and we could see His handiwork and we could see His creativeness and we could see the love that He has for us. And then, the last one is praiseworthy. And I think this one is, is maybe one of the more simpler ones. It's, it's something that's just worthy of God's praise. It's worthy of our praise. Right? And he says this, he says, Think about such things. That's how we started and how we end, right? He says, think about these things. And how do we think on that stuff instead of the junk of the world? How do we differentiate? And I think a really good example is, um, first of all, you've got to know what your Bible says, right? Because your Bible and your prayer time is really the way that you're in tune with what God has said and what He's saying and what He's doing, right? And it's kind of like, it's kind of like, uh, have you guys ever seen like a, like a, a lot of times if you're going to tune a guitar or you're going to, you're going to like tune a brass instrument, right? Like you go over to the piano and you hit the key, right? And it, it rings out and then you match those tones, right? But for a piano, you use this thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a tuning fork. You guys have heard of tuning forks. Actually, you use them on radar guns too, just a heads up, but, um, it's totally useless information. You're welcome. Um, but if you're ever if you're ever watching Jeopardy and they go, hey, how do you make sure a radar gun works? It's a tuning fork. But you take the tuning fork and it's it's always the right tone, right? And so they use it, they bang it, it goes ding, right? And it rings out. It rings true. And then you use that tone to tune the piano. Right? And then the interesting thing is, is you use that piano to tune a lot of other things, right? But you use the, the tuning fork, that true tone, to tune the piano. And I think that this idea of resonance really works here in Praiseworthy, right? And how we, we focus our thoughts on such things, right? Like, it's just like, how do we differentiate? How do we tell, like, okay, this is, this is something, there's a resonance to it. It rings with that truth of God, right? It, uh, there's, it's kind of a sniff test, right? Um, anybody had babies? That's, is it fresh? Nope. Right? Okay. I know that that's a bit of a vulgar uh, illustration, but like you get it. Right? If it's truth, if it's God's truth, it's going to ring true. It's going to pass that sniff test. And you're going to know. Sometimes we deceive ourselves because we don't want to hear it. Right? But, but what Paul's saying here to the Philippians is, listen, think about these things. And he goes on, uh, actually, to this next verse, verse 9, and he says, yeah, I did a great job hitting those slides. I'm the best. Next time, I'm just going to, here's the whole slide. Um, he goes on to this next verse. He says, keep putting into practice what you have, right? Uh, we'll read verse 9 again, just so that you remember. It's been a minute. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. And so he says, Fix your eyes on this stuff. Focus on this stuff. How do you do that? Verse 9. Put it into practice. You've seen it. You've watched it. You've learned it. You've heard it. That stuff. You know what it is. You know how to identify it because you've been in God's Word. And he says this. So he he goes, whatever you have, uh, keep putting into practice what you have. And he goes, learned. Actually, I'm going to do learned and received. Because I think learned and received go together. This idea of learned and received here 
is message sent, message received. You know what I'm talking about. That's what Paul's saying to the Philippians. He says, you heard me say it. I preached it. You, I taught it to you. You received it. You acknowledged it. We, we're on the same page. You know what I'm talking about, right? And this has to do with when Paul's preaching. These next two heard and saw. Now, it would be weird if learned... I mean, learned and heard are pretty similar, right? So why would he list these two twice right next to each other? Well, I don't think the last two... Again, these are commentaries, so I can give you a list. But I don't think those last two are the same as the first two. Right? Like, I think learned and heard, to us, they mean the same thing. But to Paul, the words he uses, learned and received are talking about his preaching. Heard and saw are talking about his life. Right? He's saying, listen, you saw me. You knew me. You saw in my life what this looked like. Does it pass the sniff test? You know what this looks like. He says, and if you, if you keep focusing on, on God, if you keep doing this stuff that I've told you, it's gonna, you've seen it, you've heard it, I've taught it. And if you focus on it, the God of peace is going to be with you. And this idea of the God of peace is going to be with you really sounds an awful lot like Matthew 28, 20, where, where Jesus says, I'm with you, even to the end of the age. Right? That's the idea that Paul is trying to give to the Philippians at this time. Okay, that's where we're going. So this verse serves as a last opportunity for Paul to beg his friends to do what he's been encouraging them to do this whole time. The whole letter has been trying to help the Philippians find peace and joy and hope in the midst of their anxiety, stress, and persecution because their hope, joy, and peace doesn't come from their circumstances and neither do ours, right? Our peace, our hope, our joy, it all comes from Jesus. All these things Paul wants the Philippians to focus on ultimately find their best example in the person and life of Jesus Christ. Just listen to what Paul has to say about Jesus in Philippians 2 and see if it resonates, right? The tune, ding, does it resonate with what we've been talking about all morning? And I don't, again, I'm not going to do tons of commentary. I just want to read through it. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to His own advantage. Rather, He made Himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled Himself and by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Right? Therefore God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's talking about Jesus. He's been talking about Jesus. And so let's read this verse one last time here with that idea in mind. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. And I, I want 
tell you one more story about Rome. Uh, when we were in Rome, uh, one of the things we sat down in this classroom one day in, a, in an afternoon session, and we sat down and we wrote out a list of, of blessings, like things throughout the year that had happened that were blessings, right? And so we went through our calendar, right? And we made this list and, I, and we, we, we drew the, a line out and we put each month on there and we wrote all these blessings on the top. I, that's how I did it. And then we were all the stuff that was, there were struggles on the bottom, right? And you know, the thing that was incredible is that when I did that and I put it all out there in a line, I could see blessing, 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 blessing. And on the bottom, there was, there was a struggle here. There was a struggle there. There's a struggle over here, but it was overwhelming how much the blessings outweighed the struggle or the hard, right? And there were things that were genuinely hard. They were hard. But until I made that list, it felt like the hard was winning. It felt like the overwhelming was bigger. But when I really sat down and I set my mind on those things and I said, here are these things that God has done in our lives over the course of this last year. And I looked at those things opposed to the things that God had let us struggle through. It was incredible how much bigger the list of blessings were than, than the list of struggles. And I think that's the whole point of what Paul's talking about to these guys here. It's like, listen, I know it feels overwhelming. And I know that the hard feels so big. He says, but if you'll fix your eyes on Jesus... If you'll fix your eyes on Jesus, you're going to see. You'll be able to see what is really true, what is, what is really lovely, what is really pure and noble and, 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 and what's lovely and admirable. It's, you're going to see it. You're going to see it. And I think that there's a real value in taking that step back and spending this time to do that. Whatever you have learned or received or heard of me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And I think 1 Corinthians 11, chapter, or chapter 11, verse 1, is essentially what he's saying here is the same thing he said to the Corinthians. He's saying, listen, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And the challenge for us is we should live lives where we could say that. Think about that. Am I living a life where I can tell somebody, hey, it's okay to follow me. I'm following Jesus, and you can trust me. That's big, and it's hard, and it's, it's a little bit scary, if I'm being honest, right? So my question for you this morning is then, is, uh, is what are you going to do? You know, um, when I was a junior in high school, uh, that's the wrong way. When I was a junior in high school, uh, my buddy Caleb invited me to go to this thing. Uh, it was a campus house retreat. And so campus house in Missouri, in, in really the States, was a lot like Docus, right? And so um, they were going with the campus house from Mizzou, the, the university in Columbia, real close to where I grew up. And so he invited me to go to this thing. I was too young. I shouldn't have even been allowed to go on it. But they invited me, so I was like, sweet. And I gave him the money, and I went, and it was down in the Lake of the Ozarks. And... Um, I, at that point in my life, I was, I was a mess, right? Like, I had been, I'd been trying to find Jesus and fix myself all at the same time, right? Like, I had all these issues with me, and, and some of it was confidence, and some of it was self-worth, and some, but, but ultimately, I tried to fill all those holes with other stuff like you do, right? And I had made a mess. That's where I was on that shore, 
that day is I'd made a mess of my life and it was, it was, it was hard and I was miserable and I wasn't. And so I went to this campus house retreat and I got down there and they, on Friday night, they had this time, uh, this guy named Roy Weiss, he'd, he'd set up the whole thing and they had this time uh, where you went down to the shore of, of, it was at Lake of the Ozarks in Missouri. And so you went down to the shore of the lake and everybody stood around, there was a campfire, they had worship music going and the whole time was set aside for confession and baptisms, right? And so I'm standing there, there listening to all this and, and, and knowing where I'm at in my life. And I, and I, I have this, I had, to, I had to do something. Like I knew where I was, I knew where I wanted to be, I knew it wasn't the same and I was miserable, right? And so I stepped up and I, and I told him, like, here's where I'm at. Here's what I've been doing. Here's what I'm in the middle of. And I'm, I'm miserable. I don't like who I am. And I want, I want what God wants in my life, right? So it was a big moment for me, like, of, of kind of giving up, trying to fix me and letting God try to fix me. And on the way up the hill, uh, my buddy Caleb, who knew me really well, he said, hey, listen, that's great. I'm really excited that you want to do that. He said, but what are you going to do about it? when you go home. And that's not necessarily biblical teaching, right? Like, um, it is, but it's not, like, I'd, I could probably find you some verses for it, right? But for me, it was a pivotal thing, right? Like, he knew that I wanted to change, but what he wanted to know is what I was going to do when I went home. I think that's a really important question. I think that's really the, the question for today is that, like, We've talked about all these ideas and concepts, right? We know what is true and what is noble and what is pure and what is right, right? Like we, we know these things, right? I think the question that we really need to answer this morning is what are we going to do with that when we get home? So with that, I'm going to pray and then we're going to have Tiffany come up and, and um, lead music and communion stuff, right? That's where we're at next? Okay. Um... So let's pray. Dearly Father, we come to you today, and God, we there's so many things we don't know. And God, there's so many things that we mess up. And, but God, you are good, and you are true, and you are noble, and you are admirable. And God, help us to, to stop focusing on all the junk in our lives and focus on the good. And the, the good, God, is you. Help us focus on you. Help us to fix our eyes on you. Because ultimately, God, there's nothing else that's going to fix us. There's nothing else that's going to make us better. There's nothing else that's going to bring us hope or joy or peace or, or real love. God, it's all found in you. And so, Father God, today I just pray that you would um, help us to fix our eyes on you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.